Welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC. Brought to you by conservativesof.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values. My name is Daniel Bobinski. I'll be your host for the next half an hour as we talk about issues facing America and facing Idaho from a Judeo-Christian perspective. You know, we are getting a lot of information thrown at us these days. It's kind of an onslaught. Uh, we have a lot of uh, government regulations that seem to be intruding into our rights. And that's a little troubling to me. And I think it should be troubling to anybody who prefers to conserve the principles upon which our country was founded, because that's not how our country was founded. And, you know, we need to get out there and do things, make a difference. And with my guest today is someone who's actually doing that. He's getting involved. He's, he's getting things discovered and getting things uncovered so that people can see what's going on and then make a difference. Uh, I want to welcome to the show Mr. Fred Birnbaum. He is the Director of Legislative Affairs for the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Fred, welcome to Voice of Conservative Values. Thank you for having me, Daniel. It's great to be here. I, I so much appreciate you taking the time to do this uh, because Idaho Freedom Foundation is a strong conservative organization, and you've been a big part of it. Uh, you were recently, uh, you, you took a new position. You used to be vice president. What happened there? Well, I wanted to focus almost exclusively on public policy, and as vice president in a small organization, I had HR and administrative things, which are very important. But I just thought at this stage of my career, I wanted to be the policy guy. And frankly, uh, for one person, it's a lot of work because there are 105 legislators and just me. We do have Anna Miller, who's also our education policy director. So if you consider that two people, it's still a lot of work. So we have an office manager, and I was able to offload a lot of administrative duties so I could focus on what's really important for our organization and that is achieving our policy out. And you have um, quite a bit of support in the community, for which I'm glad. And I happen to be a big encourager of people to uh, to follow what IFF is doing. But you know what's bothersome to me, and part of the reason, part of the reason, Fred, that I wanted to have you on the show was to kind of uh, give folks a clarity of what Idaho Freedom Foundation is all about. There has been, uh, I would say, some very unfair media uh, about IFF in uh, the major media outlets lately, and even some of the uh, other smaller ones written by uh, people who we would hope to be conservative, you would think, because they have that R after their name, but not necessarily so. Uh, you've been attacked by a particular guy named Jim Jones, uh, who used to be, I believe, a Supreme Court justice. So well, tell us a little bit about the philosophy about Idaho Freedom Foundation, and maybe you want to address some of that stuff that's, that's in the press. Absolutely. I'd love to, Daniel. So we would, we would call ourselves conservatives. Some of our critics say we're libertarian or hard right. I think more appropriately, we would say that we're pro-limited government, pro-free market, pro-liberty, and we get down into the nitty-gritty. A lot of Republicans will say the same things, and they'll be pro-Second Amendment, perhaps, which is great, pro-life, which is great. But then when it comes to the day-to-day -day work of voting for legislation, they go soft. And let me give you a quick explanation of how and why. 
So in 2021, there were 628 bills introduced in the legislature, 54 resolutions, proclamations, and memorials, and 368 passed. Four of those were vetoed. How many Idahoans actually know what were in those 368 bills? And the answer is not many. And what we do is review virtually all of them. We don't review some things like proclamations, which don't really have any impact. But the really important bills that appropriate money, that change policy, that grow government or shrink government, which they're few, we review those. And we often write a review with our Freedom Index that doesn't support the mainstream narrative. And they don't like that people are exposed to what's exactly in that legislation. So we get attacked. And I think that's sort of the overarching issue is there's a lot of work done by the legislature and the executive branch at the detail level people don't see. They just hear the headlines. And we get into the details and we expose, frankly, pieces of legislation that are not pro-free market, that are not pro-limited government, that are not pro-liberty. And we say so and we explain why. And in doing so, it frustrates the establishment, which would rather not have these things exposed. And they don't want them exposed, and that's the problem that that I think our major media is is complicit in is they don't uh, do the reporting that you guys are doing, so you are exposing it. And and you know I have to say um, I looked at uh, some of the ratings of some of the candidates. You guys have the Freedom Index, where you rate. Uh, well, I should say, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to to explain what the Freedom Index is and how it's established. I'd love to do that. So we don't actually rate candidates. What the Freedom Index does is it looks at at bills that are before the legislature. It applies 12 metrics. It scores the bills. Legislators vote how they vote, and then they get a score. So we rate the bills before they're voted on. And the legislators get a score, but we're not actually – we're not scoring them as candidates. This is just their score based on votes on the floor of the House or the Senate. And as I mentioned earlier, there are about 600-plus bills introduced in 2021. In 2020, it was less. It was about 560. So we review the bills. We actually create um, our own internal spreadsheet about which ones we're going to rate. And then we go through these bills, and it's a lot of work. And one of the advantages I think our organization has is that we have a lot of practice doing this. So over the years... The seven years I've been with IFF, we've rated that we've reviewed and rated thousands of bills. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. So, for example, there was a bill that was going to provide a carve-out tax credit to short-line railroads. And that's not on most people's radar, but it was a perfect example of crony legislation. At least that would be how we would see it because it was a carve-out for an industry that was lobbying for it before the tax committee. And the bill died two sessions in a row, and it was not for a lot of trying by the lobbyists and certain uh, leadership folks. So there is an example of something. We reviewed this bill. We saw it was a carve-out. It wasn't a general tax reduction. It was a carve-out to a particular industry. And we put a rating. And of course, legislators voted for or against the bill. Like I said, it ultimately died. And then using that bill and all the other votes, 
legislators get a score. It's just it's simple math. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do primarily at the legislatures. We review bills and we rate them. And certainly we support many pieces of legislation. We're not just against things. But most people only remember what we're against. When we favor something that they favor, um, they, they sort of forget about it. And I think that's why we're getting attacked, because people who supported that short-line railroad tax credit, for example, they were thinking that would fly under the radar and the public wouldn't pay any attention to that. Who would know about it? And uh, when, we, when we expose that, it definitely ruffles feathers. It, this is a government of, by, and for the people. And one of the things that I've uh, kind of gotten the habit of saying lately is that you know, most of the folks think about that third part. It's government for the people, and they forget that it's government of and by the people. We really do have to step up and take responsibility and do things. And, and I am grateful for organizations like the Idaho Freedom Foundation that you are doing that work. You're getting down to the state house. You're looking at all the bills. You are evaluating them. And and most of us don't even think to do that, let alone do it. So you guys are doing it. And I and I want to kind of point something out that I think a lot of folks who may have read uh, some of these articles in major media that are smearing the IFF. Um, I, I think that uh, if you looked at what the IFF scoring system is, and you looked at the similar scoring system for the American Conservative Union or Heritage Action for America, these are organizations that also score bills and they, they rate them. And when you take a look at what Idaho Freedom Foundation's ratings are for these bills and, and the American Conservative Union, it's, it's almost parallel. It's within a point or two of each other. And I look at so I look at these different candidates. You can go online and you can see how, you know, candidate XYZ, or I should say representative XYZ is, is, is uh, scored, how, how their voting record plays out. And uh, they, get, they have a certain score with the Idaho Freedom Foundation. And then you look at their score with the American Conservatives Union, and it's almost the same. And the, American, and the Heritage Action for America, almost the same. So when, when we have organizations or people like this, this Jim Jones guy who used to be a chief justice in the, in the Supreme Court here, everybody thinks, well, he's supposed, to, he's supposed to be important because he was you know, chief justice. Well, excuse me, um, I, I think someone who's a, cons- a true conservative would covet a rating from the American Conservatives Union. So why someone like Mr. Jones would say that IFF is dangerous to Idaho is just beyond the pale. There's just, just no rationale for it whatsoever. I think it's exactly as you say, that people are afraid of being exposed for what they're really trying to do. I think you summed it up well. There's something else that I have, Daniel, and that is uh, Idaho is a very Republican state. So in the legislature of the 105 seats, 82% are held by Republicans. So that's a super, super majority. If you want office in this state, you don't have to be a genius to figure out your chances improve unless you're in a few liberal districts if you run with an R behind your name. It doesn't necessarily mean you adhere to the principles. Again, if you're someone who thinks, I would really like to be in the legislature, or I would like to be in the Supreme Court, or I would like to be superintendent of public education, gee, my odds are going to improve if I run as a Republican. Maybe I should do that. And I think that's one of the dangers of a state that has one party that's been very dominant. Idaho, after Utah, and there's a couple other states in Idaho's category, has the longest-running what they call trifecta, which is the state house, 
this isn't the U.S. Congress, the State House, the State Senate, and the governor's office held by Republicans. So Idaho's had that since the early 90s. So Republicans are clearly in charge. And so if you want to get into office, you think, gee, I'm going to run. And then when you get into office and you see a bill, for example, that's going to fund Medicaid and the lobbyists from the hospital association shows up and you're not a principal person, I think, well, okay, I'll vote for that. Who's really going to know? Because I'll put out a flyer that says I'm pro-guns, I'm pro-life, and I'm a conservative. And the average voter is not going to realize that there were 368 bills passed and you voted on X, Y, and Z a certain way. So I think Jim Jones is a symptom of a larger problem, and that is the complacency that sets in in a state like Idaho, which is very heavily dominated by one party for decades. There's, a, I think, a, a, a perspective that you mentioned there about being principled. That's got to be the key. If we're going to be successful as a state in maintaining our Constitution, we have to have this idea that government should not be directing us what we should be doing. They, they, can, they are supposed to, to be protecting, not directing, uh, in my opinion. Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I, and I think people lose sight of that. And there are a number of reasons for it. Um, you know, government can grow incrementally, and it can happen at a slow and steady pace, and, and it just doesn't get noticed. What Joe Biden is attempting to do now with this massive overreach, that gets noticed. But the cut-and-thrust work of government where it adds staff here and there, it grows 6 5%. A lot of that flies under the radar for most people. And I'm just going to give you an example. So this coming budget year, and this is a request that hasn't been appropriated yet, Department of Health and Welfare, which runs Medicaid and child welfare and some other programs, the Department of Health and Welfare is asking for nearly $5 billion. You say, you say billion or million? Billion with a B. Now, um, historically, the overall budget before COVID was around, for everything, around $9 billion. I can tell you that it wasn't that long ago, about 15 or 16 years ago, that the entire budget for everything for Idaho, meaning roads, state police, colleges, K through 12, Medicaid, everything was about 4.9 billion. And now just health and welfare alone is bigger than the entire state budget. And this is in a Republican state. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that are happening. And I think one of the challenges that people have who call themselves conservative and don't and don't necessarily act on that, is to say no to higher spending. And we certainly see that in Washington, and we see it in Idaho, frankly. Uh, and, and Medicaid is, is sort of example A. In the last seven or eight years, it's grown 87%. And people say, well, Idaho's growing. Yeah, but the population didn't almost double. And, and that's really what's happening, and, and it's just not visible most people, because sometimes they're not interested in, in numbers. But the other issue, and you brought up about all of us being involved, if you're married, have a family, working, have a house to take care of, have kids, that's very time-consuming. And the average person does not have the time to read 60 bills, let alone 600 bills. 
or so that's or the six. advantage the establishment has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they are they're flying under the radar, and in my opinion, the major media is letting them do it. We don't see journalism happening. Uh, as it should in the major media and even in you know, the local TV. I'm, I'm talking print as well as TV. Um, they're just not uncovering this stuff. They they cover the highlights. They create fear and that get that gets clicks. That gets readership. They create. They stir it up and make drama. And then they get their advertising money. But they're not doing their job as journalists, in my opinion, to provide genuine, introspective, insightful news reporting to what's really going on. And I know when I read stuff that uh, the Idaho Freedom Foundation publishes, I'm getting insightful stuff. And, and by the way, so people can subscribe to that. There's no cost to that, is, is there? No. The Yes. we Our website is IdahoFreedom.org. There is no cost. Um, you can go on and read our articles. You can see our Freedom Index. We also do a Spending Index. We cover a lot of policy areas, education being one at the forefront. Um, I did want to talk a bit about the, the major media, which has been very hostile to us, uh, the, the major print and televised media, mostly the print media, and your comment about them not doing real journalism. I think there's a couple things that, that are going on, and we've, we've really seen this with the emergence of President Trump, um, and that is the mainstream media are very hostile to conservative ideas. So, for example, they, they supported wholeheartedly the expansion of Medicaid to able-bodied adults. If they were fair journalists, they would have pointed out what actually happened, which is what we said would, would happen, which was the cost overruns were huge on the expanded Medicaid. And I mentioned it's, you know, it's close to a $3.8 billion program out of the overall health and welfare of 4-9-ish. So they don't they don't ever do that. So when liberalism fails or a program has cost overruns, they don't do journalism. They will only do the emotional stories about someone who wants or needs Medicaid, promote the expansion of Medicaid, and then they will never go back and say, "Gee, let's look as as honest, fair journalists. Let's look at what happened." And we can give hundreds of examples of that. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the press, and I think this is one of the reasons there is so much frustration among people, I'm going to say this sort of broadly speaking, on the right, Republicans, conservatives, even center-right, is that we don't seem to be gaining ground. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the press is, there are exceptions, of course. I mean, there's, as people know, there's Fox News, there's other outlets. But if you look at the totality of the press, print, and, and televised journalism, it's very left-leaning. It's gotten more so, and it's, it's the quality of the journalism is, is very poor. They don't do a lot of digging. They don't do appropriate research, and they actually parrot each other's line. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things that they – and they don't hold each other accountable. And, you know, whether it's suppressing a news story about Hunter Biden's laptop or letting um, – Justice Jim Jones make allegations about us without without evidence, you know, just making statements that we do this and that and uh, not really providing a whole lot of details, not addressing, you know, Jim Jones supported Medicaid expansion wholeheartedly to able-bodied adults in Idaho when it was on the ballot in 2018. He's never written an article saying, gee, I was wrong about the cost or I should have thought more about that. Never will do that. Mm-mm. So the, the state of journalism is a real problem. 
And conservatives need to see them for what they are. They're, they're hostile elements. They're, they're not just unfair. They're, they're hostile elements, and they are, they are not on the side of those who believe in limited government and the Constitution. And, and there's a point right there that I wanted to underscore that you've been talking about, and I'm going to kind of try to put a bow on it in a, in a different package here. Just people think about spending. And you, the Idaho Freedom Foundation talks a lot about uh, spending bills and, and the money that gets spent by government. And, and uh, I think it's intuitive to the people in Ida, Idaho Freedom Foundation and to the people who understand uh, how this all works uh, but to the person who, like like you said, they got their wife and their kids or their husband and their kids and they're going about their day and, and they don't have time to get into all these different things. When you take a look at these bills that increase spending, almost all of them talk about some increased level of government control. So you have more money, which means more government control, more government oversight. And the more government control and oversight you have, the less freedom occurs. People start losing their freedom and government starts stepping in and saying, no, you can't do that because of this. No, you can't do that anymore because of this. And it happens over time. It's slow. And it's, it's the proverbial frog in the, in the bucket kind of thing, the frog getting boiled. It's, it's over time, these freedoms start getting eroded. So, you know, when Idaho Freedom Foundation is talking about increased spending, it's not just the dollars. It's also the amount of government control. That's an excellent point, and there's a further point, and that is Idaho's legislature appropriates tax dollars, money raised from sales taxes and income taxes and corporate income taxes, but it also appropriates federal dollars, and sadly, that's almost half of the money. It's about 45% in recent budgets, and almost all federal money has some strings, either direct strings, like you shall do this when you spend this money, it's called maintenance of effort. Um, or, and here's the other danger, we get used to the money, and if the money for that particular grant or program goes away, then the agency will often turn to the state taxpayer and say, gee, the federal money dried up. Look at all these wonderful things we're doing. So now we need state money, money that could go to roads, for example, for this for this program. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a real double-edged sword. I was going to point one other thing out, because we have some dear friends in the legislature who, you know, they'll tell me privately, gee, you know, we wish you were more focused on social issues, Fred. And, of course, um, just for the record, we do not rate abortion bills except when they use public funds, and we rate those negatively. We absolutely do not support any public funding, but just a a an abortion bill by itself. There are plenty of other organizations that get involved in that, and that isn't a piece of a topic of legislation we're involved in. But the reason I bring this up, uh, someone mentioned, a few people mentioned to me, gee, you know, we're we're with you on a lot of things, but we're, these people say, we're probably not as fiscally conservative as you, but we're more socially conservative. And I'll point this out. I had mentioned earlier there are 628 bills introduced in 2021, and most years it's in the 500s. We went through and, and looked at all of those bills, and we said, okay, how many are social issues to include um, you know, gambling, abortion, liquor control, you know, your, your social issue bills, not just abortion? And it's, it's about 5%. Hmm. 
So if and and we were fairly expansive in what we called social issues. So it wasn't just abortion. Like I said, it was gambling, it was liquor, it was abortion, and I'm trying to think of some others. But but things you would generally think of as social issues. It's a very small percentage of the legislative portfolio are social issues. So if you're only a social issue conservative, in other words, you are going to oppose those things or support bills that would restrict those things, and then vote with the mainstream, can you really consider yourself a conservative? And I think that's where some friction comes, because it's, it's um, you know, pro-gun, and we're very pro-gun, and, and I don't call pro-gun or pro-Second Amendment is a better way to say it, uh, a, a social issue, by the way. I'd be very clear about that. But it's, it's, um, it's insufficient, in our view, to call yourself a conservative based on legislation that's about you know, 5% of the votes. Mm-hmm. To your point, a lot of legislation that grows government and has all sorts of federal strings attached, if you're voting for that, that's impacting everyone's lives day in and day out. And we see it now. You know, we've grown the, what I'll call the big medicine. And it's much easier to impose a vaccine mandate on someone who's on Medicare or Medicaid because they're getting a benefit, and the government will say, well, if you want this benefit, you need to go get that vaccine. If you're buying your own insurance or you're using, like, a health share ministry, it's not. It's going to be a lot harder for them to do that. Mm-hmm. But if they're saying, look, we're giving you this Medicaid card, you're not paying a dime, and in order to get your services, you know, we have to have you comply, and you're going to get the shot. And your options are, well, no Medicaid or get the shot. And and that's the sort of thing that's insidious. So I think it is important that people who consider themselves conservatives don't think that just voting on two or three issues the right way is sufficient. Mm-hmm. And speaking of voting, by the way, and we only have a minute left here, uh, literally, and we have um, uh, an election coming up on Tuesday, and it's an off-year election but there are so many important things that get decided in these off-year elections. And I just want to take this moment to encourage everyone listening to get out and vote on Tuesday. Uh, you know, we're not going to tell you how to vote. We're going to tell you to go vote. Because you, you, this is a, a country of, by, and for the people. And that means our, our participation. So, uh, Fred, uh, I just want to we just have a few seconds left. Thank you so much for joining us here and sharing a little bit about IFF, and there's so much more we could learn. People go to, give me the website again. IdahoFreedom.org. Okay. All right. And they can get more information about what's going on there. Fred Birnbaum, uh, Legislative Affairs Director for the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Thank you, Fred. Uh, This is Daniel Bobinski with the Voice of Conservative Values. And you can uh, catch more True News, by the way, uh, if you go to uh, trueidahonews.com, which is the website that I run. And I'm also a contributor on the national level to uncoverdc.com. And if you like what you're hearing here, you can always go to the uh, Voice of Conservative Values show on uh, brighteon.tv. It's uh, 2 p.m. on Thursdays. It's a live show. Just go to brighteon.tv on the internet and no registration required. Just watch it for free. Anyways, this is Daniel Bobinski with the Voice of Conservative Values. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Until then, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to the Voice of Conservative Values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives Of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. 
Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry. 